So this morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone, anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of the God, word of God, for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you so dull, still so dull, Jesus asked him, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. This is the Gospel of Christ. My name is Joel, and I'm the Assistant Minister here at St. Stephen's, and it's uh, wonderful to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, before we begin, why don't we uh, spend some time in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we need your help every time we open up your Word. We need your help to understand, uh, so we ask that you would speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name. Amen. People tend to love their traditions. Family holidays, movie nights, Sunday roast, birthdays. Traditions can be great. They can, be, they can give us something to look forward to. They can give us comfort. They give us fond memories. They can give us joy. As Christians, we have a number of traditions that we're used to things that have been passed down to us for generations. Some of these things are found in the Bible, partaking in communion, the preaching of the word of God, gathering together, as we're doing this morning. Others are not explicitly taught in Scripture, but are thought to be helpful for our Christian growth. Having Bible studies during the week, having a youth group, reciting the creeds together, 
sticking around for morning tea after every service. With a lot of our traditions, we have freedom, uh, and that's a good thing. It allows us to be thoughtful, to help people grow in their faith and in their relationship with God. And it allows us to learn lessons from our Christian brothers and sisters who have gone before us. But like all things, there's a danger for us. There's a danger that we misuse the freedom that the Bible gives us to insist that things must be done in a certain way. There's a danger that we go beyond what the Bible says and insist that others follow us. And this is the precise situation which Jesus finds himself in in Matthew chapter 15. He's confronted by human traditions that are held up higher than the word of God itself. Jesus goes on to explain that the motive behind such a push comes as a result of the state of the human heart. And as we think about this passage, it's it's right for us to consider some of our own traditions and the role of the word of God in our personal lives uh, and in the life of our church as well. So we're going to work our way through the, the key details of the passage and then we'll think through what Matthew is wanting us to take away from it. So our passage begins with the appearance of some Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, the Pharisees in particular have popped up every now and then in Matthew's Gospel. They were a group who were often unashamedly opposed to what Jesus was doing. And we tend to to write them off as the villains pretty quickly. But in reality, they were people who knew a lot about God's Word. They loved God's Word more than most people. They were passionate about it. They were zealous. They were seen as those who had the authority to interpret the word of God. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was their unswerving loyalty to their traditions. And as a result, their failure to obey the word of God itself. That's what we see in verses 1 to 9. The Pharisees have travelled over 150 kilometres to come and speak to Jesus. Now, just for a reference point, Hamner Springs is about 130 kilometres away from here. Uh, Imagine making a trip that far without a car, maybe on a horse, just to ask this one question. You'd have to be quite committed, wouldn't you? And it shows us how important their tradition was to them. So they asked Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, it turns out washing your hands before eating was pretty important to people back then. People tell me it's it's still important today. (laughs) Uh, But the Pharisees, they've turned this concern for having clean hands into something necessary for being spiritually clean. If you didn't wash your hands, you were unclean. And this tradition had become common in Israel. Word has spread, and so the Pharisees, they demand answers. But Jesus comes back at them with a question of his own. And it's a piercing question. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? It would be hard to think of more cutting words to say to a Pharisee. To be a Pharisee was to know the word of God. But they also held these other traditions of their own 
which they used alongside the word of God. In some ways you can understand because these were traditions that had been passed down from generation to generation. And as I said earlier, traditions can have value. Doing something new is not always better. But as Christians, we can't hold to traditions that contradict the word of God. And that's what's at stake in verses 4 to 6. Jesus quotes from Exodus chapters 20 and 21, which is where God gives his law to his people. And I take it what's happening here is that a man is in a position to be able to help his father or mother, perhaps financially or, or with his assets or with his time, but he has decided to gift his finances or his assets or his time to God. So therefore, the Pharisees say, because these things have been devoted to God, he doesn't need to honour his father or mother anymore. He can ignore Exodus 20, which says, honour your father and mother. He can ignore Exodus 21, which says anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. So by keeping these man-made traditions, the Pharisees were encouraging people to break the commands that God had given them. They were offering people loopholes. So Jesus gives his verdict in verse 6, you are nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will proclaim that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. Love God, love people. The Pharisees try and separate the two. They separate loving God and loving his people. But the two go hand in hand. You can't separate them. And we should be concerned if we find ourselves clinging to to tradition at the expense of of loving people. We can end up making God's life-giving word null and void. Jesus continues his assessment of the Pharisees and and teachers of the law in verse 7. He quotes Isaiah 29 verse 13. And he says, this prophecy is about them. They seem to honour God with their words, but it's their hearts that are the issue. See, their hearts are far from God. These are sobering words. Their worship of God, which they've dedicated their lives to, is said to be in vain. Their teaching, powerless. These are brutal words to be on the receiving end of. Uh, If you've ever received brutally honest feedback, you may know something of how they feel. And yet, they are necessary words. And we see see why in verses 10 to 20. Jesus gathers the crowd around and begins to explain why the Pharisees are wrong. He explains that it's not their hygiene that makes them unclean. See, this ritual of washing hands isn't going to bring about godliness. His words are in direct contrast to that of the Pharisees. And it's worth saying that the Pharisees were held in high regard. The disciples themselves held them in high regard, which is why they interrupt Jesus to let him know that he's offended the Pharisees. Now, of course, Jesus is aware of this, and so he tells a parable in verse 13. Every, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. 
So verse 13 speaks of the judgment that will come to the Pharisees. Verse 14 is a warning to the disciples to avoid them. For not only are the Pharisees spiritually blind, but they also try and lead others who are spiritually blind astray. The blind leading the blind. Uh, we use this, this phrase pretty jovially these days when, when people have no idea what's going on. It's fair to say it's been a fitting description of our parenting experience to date. Uh, but there's a, there's a level of sadness here. There is a level of sadness, isn't there? Because not only are they going down the wrong path, but they're also taking others with them. And they're destined to fall into this pit. Now, as is often the case with parables that Jesus tells, the disciples struggle to understand. And so in verses 17 to 20, he explains the core problem, which is a problem of the heart. See, what you put in your mouth exits the body. But it's what comes out of the mouth that makes someone unclean. Verse 19 gives us a description of the heart that's very different uh, to what we're used to. See, we tend to think of the heart in a positive way. People are encouraged to make decisions based on their heart. We're encouraged to play sport or to do performances with our heart. We claim to love people with all our hearts. People are praised and admired for wearing their hearts on their sleeves, uh, which is to show their true feelings or emotions. So the heart's usually associated with good things. But here Jesus sees the heart as it really is. He doesn't romanticise it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He exposes our hearts as they are. And it's very different to what the world has to say about our hearts. The heart is capable of gross evil. We see that in, uh, in the list in verse 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. There are many more things that you could add to that list. Now, Some of us might say, oh, I've never murdered anyone, I've never committed adultery or stolen from anyone. But Jesus also cares about the thoughts that come from our hearts. He cares about the anger we have against others. He cares about our lustful desires. He cares about the way we think and speak about others, especially when they're not there. See, it's all of these things and more that cause us to reject the word of God and God himself. Our hearts are inclined to sin. And it's specifically because God knows what our hearts are like that Jesus comes into the world. He came to deal with our sinful hearts and he shows us here the problem of the heart. And later in Matthew's Gospel, he's going to go on to die for his people to deal with that problem once and for all. During the week, we've been away as a a staff team, uh, praying and planning for the coming months. Uh, And during our time away, we had a chance to listen to a talk which looked at the life of John Newton, the captain of a slave ship who came to faith, uh, and the man who penned the song Amazing Grace, among other songs. And one of the things that you soon notice about John Newton is his understanding of the state of his own heart. 
In one of his songs, he speaks of how God showed him the hidden evils of his heart. And he speaks of the, the pain that that brought him. And the outcome was this gradual humbling of his heart. So often sin is hidden away in our hearts. We can do the right things to maintain our reputations. We can follow traditions closely. We can convince ourselves that doing these things will bring us closer to God. But it won't solve the problem of our hearts. No man-made tradition will. It's something that only Jesus himself can fix. Uh, and so it's a slightly abrupt end to the passage. It's almost like one of those, those movies where things are unresolved. So where does that leave us? Uh, well, let me leave you with a, cu- uh, a few things that Matthew seems to be teaching us in these verses. Firstly, as a church, let's be careful not to demand things of our brothers and sisters that scripture doesn't demand. We all have our personal preferences about the way we like things done. We have our traditions as a church, things that we've done for years, things that we either like or maybe dislike. With a lot of these things, God graciously gives us freedom to decide how we will do them. But we need to be careful not to turn that freedom into more than what it is. We need to be careful not to demand things that Scripture doesn't demand. We have to sing more songs or or we have to sing less songs. We have to say the Lord's Prayer every service. We have to spend more more time talking about X or Y or Z. The minister has to be wearing robes. I'll pass that one on to Jay and and see what he can do. Uh, The service has to be finished by 11.45 on the dot. So we also need to be careful about the way we speak of other churches or even others in ministry. They, they do things differently to us. Well, they're not Anglican, therefore they're wrong. Well, they do things like this, so we need to do what they do as well. Remember, there's, there's a lot of freedom that God gives us in terms of the way we do things. We need to be wary of condemning others simply because they do things slightly different to us. Of course, there are, there are some things in God's word which, which he does speak against. But where the word is silent or gives us freedom, we need to hold on to things loosely. Perhaps a question we can ask ourselves when we, when we find ourselves holding on to things a little bit too tightly and getting frustrated is why? Why am I holding on to this so tightly when God doesn't? When we demand or insist on things that go beyond Scripture, we're often revealing something about our own hearts. That's what this passage has shown us. There's actually something encouraging about knowing that we all have different personal preferences, uh, and yet we're able to continue meeting together in unity, because we know obedience to the Word of God is more important than our traditions. It's actually encouraging when we're willing to give up things that we prefer for the sake of others. The second thing that Matthew teaches us is on a more individual level. Let's be careful as individuals not to demand things of others that Scripture doesn't demand. Uh, One of the things I've noticed, which you may have noticed as well, is how Christians are often riddled riddled with guilt. Uh, And sometimes this is a guilt which comes as a result 
of conviction by the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing. But sometimes it can be a guilt that they feel as a result of the way they're treated by other Christians. Sometimes when people don't live the way we live, we treat them in a way that makes them feel guilty. They've come from a different background to ours. They, they have a different personality to, to us. They do things in a slightly different way. They're not as committed as we'd like them to be. The Pharisees have failed to hold on to the word of God. They've gone beyond it in their traditions. Each of us needs to be careful that we don't force our personal traditions on others in an unloving way. Of course, there is a place for speaking the truth into each other's lives, and we need that in order to grow. But we need to allow the Word of God to do its work in the lives of those around us. Allow God's Spirit to bring about change in His people. Be gracious to each other as God has been gracious to us. Finally, think of the goal. Uh, I think the goal that Matthew has for us is that we might see our hearts as they really are. And when we see our hearts and all that's hidden away deep inside, that we might come to repentance. God knows our hearts, even as Christians, are prone to wander from the word of God. When God's word reveals to us that we've been worrying or focusing on the wrong things, the correct response is repentance. Not to take offence, don't reject God's correction. If our hearts are different, are distant, our worship will be in vain. Make sure you're not blind to God's assessment of your heart. And to be blind is to ignore the warning here. Because if we continue in our blindness, we'll end up like the plant pulled up by the roots because it doesn't belong to God. At St. Stephen's, we want to be men and women who are devoted to God's word, who see the benefit of tradition, but who hold on to it loosely. Uh, let me pray that we would be those things. Heavenly Father, please help us to be those uh, who are unwavering in our loyalty to your word. Father, please give us humble hearts uh, that are willing to be corrected when we get things wrong. Help us to hold to our traditions loosely uh, and above all, to seek your glory in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.